1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. And if you've been with New Life for a little while, um, some of these verses will seem very familiar to you because we do go over them in the communion. So 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34, and I'll be reading from the CSB. Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper or the communion, for at the meal each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I'll give instructions about the other matters when I come. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we gather together for the Sunday service, as we gather together under your word, and as we gather together for the communion, we pray, Lord, that it will be your Holy Spirit illuminating these words to our hearts, that you will be the one lighting the way, that you will be the one that sweeps across the darkness of our hearts and helps us, Lord, to receive the light that you have for us. We want to live for you. We want to love others around us, but we find it so hard because it's so much easier to care for ourselves, to care for just our families. So we ask, Lord, that you would change us. We ask, Lord, that the power of your word would be the thing that changes us, will be what leads us. God, would you guide us this morning? Would you give us great wisdom by the Holy Spirit And would you, Holy Spirit, transform us that we might look more and more like the image of the Son of God, Jesus. We want, Lord, for this word to be transformational in our lives, not to be a source of confusion, not to be a source of disunity, but to be something that we come united under. So would you be with us? Would you help us to love you more? Would you help us, Lord, by disciplining us when we need it? And help us, Lord, to bow our knees before you, to receive you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Do you ever feel like the amount of money that you earn, or your job, your relationship status, or something else in your life makes you better than someone else? Okay, this might be like maybe too confronting or maybe too strong uh, of words to use. So would you consider yourself to be, let's use Christian words here, more blessed by God than someone else because of where you're at in life? Do you ever feel this way? What if the things that you did at church reflected the way that you think like this? Like you only met and ate with people that you consider to be on your level or like you or someone that's going to improve your status in life. Someone's going to improve who you are by the power of their friendship. Or you only sat with people like you during Sunday service. Or it even came down to sacraments like the communion. Now in our passage today, Paul has no praise for the Corinthians. Last week, we saw that Paul was praising them for keeping with traditions, but not this week. He says multiple times, I do not praise you in this matter. He talks about the way that the Corinthians practice the communion or the Lord's Supper, as we read in this passage, and the way that they're completely contradicting the meaning of the sacrament. So what is the meaning of the communion? Now, we do this every month here at New Life. We gather together for the communion, And today will be no different. We will go through the communion a little bit later on. But unless we deeply consider what the communion actually is and what it means, how it represents our faith, we run the risk of it becoming just meaningless routine that we go through each month. We run the risk of it just becoming something that doesn't really matter to us. And this will come across in our passage today because Paul talks about the way that the Corinthians are doing the communion. Rather than honoring Christ by honoring his body, the church, the people around them, they brought shame and dishonor by shaming different members of the body. Okay, so what exactly are they doing? Uh, Verses 20 to 22. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. You can read already that there are clear divides in the Corinthian church between those who are rich, those who are considered higher socially and economically, and those of a lower socioeconomic class. There's a clear divide here. And this plays out in a very obvious, very in-your-face way during the communion. Now, I don't know how you picture the communion being carried out, okay? Maybe, you know, New Life's the only church you've ever been to. Maybe you can only picture the way that we do it here at New Life. And it makes you wonder, how can anyone possibly create division when they're taking these little, you know, peel cup things and just, how are you going to create division that way? But keep in mind that the Corinthians, they weren't practicing communion in the exact same way that we do today, you know, very obviously, right? They weren't meeting in a large hall like this, for one. They were quite probably meeting in people's homes. And so you can imagine trying to fit a a church the size of New Life, for example, in your home, you know, trying to invite everyone over, trying to fit them into your dining area so that you can serve them. In the Roman world, there will be maybe about nine people that could fit inside that dining area and then they will be served by the household servants. Quite often, where guests were seated, the order in which they were seated, okay, so the host would sit at the head of the table, obviously, and then those around them, the order in which the food was given out, 
All of this was dependent on social class as the hosts deemed appropriate. So the hosts would basically decide who is more or less important in the eyes of themselves and I guess God. What if that happened during communion here at New Life? Like, can you imagine during communion, we, you know, we make sure that there's no favoritism when it comes to the order of how people are served. You know, we say, when you're ready, come up to be served. We wait for everyone to be served to take the communion together. We specifically say, please wait for everyone to be served, and then we'll take it together. There's unity in this. But imagine if I just went rogue one day, and I said, okay, whoever makes the most money in a calendar year, you come up first. You deserve it. Clearly, you're more blessed by God. You know, the first, second, third years, most of them aren't here. And so clearly, you're more important to them. Social elites come up for the communion first. Who would come up? Would you be brave enough to say, yeah, I'm pretty elite? Whoever has the most influence, and this reflects directly on me, maybe, whoever has the most influence with the elders of Sezun, who can talk to them about some of the stuff that I'm really worried about at church, you guys should come up first because surely you're more important to me than these other guys. Choose the best portions. Does this sit well with you? Would you leave church immediately? I wouldn't blame you. At the time that this was written, those who were the social elites would gather together first because they're rich and powerful. They're not doing work that can't be pushed off to the lower, poorer members of society. They're not having to stay behind because of a work schedule that someone else has determined for them. They're the ones that are determining the work schedules. So they can decide, hey, you blue-collar workers, you stay back and work. I'm going to go because I have church. And once they gather together, the elites would begin the meal first, even before the poor members of the church had stepped foot in the door. So before everyone's gathered, they would start. And once the meal started, I mean, obviously, it's not a disposable cup with a little wafer, you know, and a bit of juice like we had, but something more substantial. It's an actual dinner, okay? There will be further distinctions made because the guests who are sitting closer to the host will be deemed of a higher status than those seated further away. Many wouldn't even be sitting inside the dining area. How could they? There's only nine people that could fit here, and so they'd be sitting further and further out. There will be less food available the further out that you got. The food will be of noticeably lower quality. And then the household servants, the slaves, they'd be expected to serve the dinner to the guests. You can imagine what this would look like if these slaves were members of the church too. When do they get a turn? Why are they expected to serve? Is this the communion as you know it? Would you call this the communion? Is this representative of what the communion is? Read with me verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the communion, it comes from the night when Jesus was betrayed. 
when the Lord Jesus laid down his rights to give his life for sinners. And this meal is marked by the remembrance of Jesus. It's a shared proclamation of his death that we come under. It's a unity for all those who are part of Christ's body together. This is the meaning of communion. And if this is the case, if this is what communion represents, and this is what we Christians proclaim each time we share in this meal together, then surely the communion should be recognizable as a time of unity and of putting others first. Otherwise, we're not doing the communion. We're doing something else. And yet, the Corinthians' practice displayed none of these things. If anything, the meal that they called the Lord's Supper looked more like the meals dedicated to pagan gods, to the gods that they served long ago, to the gods that the Romans around them served. Dinner guests would get drunk at these kinds of dinners. They would gorge themselves gluttonously, just all the food that they can manage, shoveling down until they were full, and then they would shovel more down. And then they'd do something else so they could eat more, saying they're being merry, they're feasting in the name of their God, like Dionysus or someone else. You know, what's the difference, though? What's the difference between this kind of dinner and the communion that these so-called Christians were partaking in? Their meal, they didn't display the unity and the laying down of their lives for the sake of others. That didn't come across in the communion that they they were taking part in. For the sake of the poor brothers and sisters among them, the way that Jesus did, this wasn't happening. Instead, it made the divisions become bigger. The socially elite actually believed that the differences between the classes was an indication of God's special blessing upon them. So of course it should be reflected in the communion. Of course it should be reflected in the meals. God's already done it. He's already given me all this money, this status. Why shouldn't that be reflected in the meals, they thought. As much as this meal that the Corinthians participated in looked like just any other meal, our practice of the Lord's Supper is not just another meal. It's not just another practice. When we gather together for the communion, yes, We eat and we drink together. We do this. But we don't just eat and drink. It's the Lord's body and the blood. It's done in remembrance of Jesus. It's done in order to proclaim his death until he returns. Now, I love that we at New Life, we make sure to include people. You know, I think we do this pretty okay. Okay, maybe you disagree and you can talk to me after the service and I can try to figure out why that might be. But I think we try to include people. I think we try to ensure that the parents in the parents' room get served. We try to make sure that our serving members on Sundays get to take part in the communion. That those in children's ministry, way off in the other side of the building, they're not excluded either. And that people, I really like that people don't want to miss out on the communion. They see the need for unity. They see the reason why we take part in these things. We even clean up after ourselves out of the communion, for the most part, right? Hopefully. I hope that we at New Life, we recognize, though, that this isn't just a ritual that we take part in once a month, that we don't just make it become some meaningless, mindless act, but we consider the significance of taking part in the Lord's death. This is what we're doing when we take this meal together, of finding unity in the proclamation of who He is, of laying down our lives as he did for us. We live this out when we take the communion together. 
because our identities continue to be formed and reformed as we share in this meal together, because we recognize the redemption that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection won for us. And so that's what we're doing in the communion. Does the way that you take the communion reflect Jesus' self-sacrificial death on the cross for the sake of others? Or does the way that you live your life reflect this as well? Now we see from the passage that not everyone who takes the communion will live out its true meaning. Don't get it wrong. We see this in the way that the Corinthians acted, for example. We see this even in the original Lord's Supper, the one that Jesus partook in. For it was on the night that he was betrayed, it tells us. He was literally betrayed on this night where he did the Lord's Supper. The Lord shared in this table even with those that would betray him that very night. The Corinthians, for their part, each time they gather for the communion, it deepens the divide between social classes, serves not to give dignity to their brothers and sisters, but rather to bring shame upon them, to humiliate them in front of the whole congregation. And unfortunately, this is how they drank judgment upon themselves. Because when they humiliate members of the body of Christ, they do harm to God's church. They do harm to Jesus himself. Verses 27 and 29. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Nothing should take away from the significance of what Jesus did for us. There should be nothing that undermines the sacrifice. There should be nothing that distracts from the way that Jesus not only lived for, but died for others. That unity that we're talking about here. The way that the Corinthians ate and drank, they did so in a way that was dishonoring. That was humiliating the other members of the church, the body of Christ. This is the context of the communion in the Corinthian times. But can we examine our own context now? The way we practice communion is very different from the old world of Corinth. Okay? We do this here on a Sunday morning each, you know, each month rather than gathering together over a meal in someone's house. You would think that the way that we practice communion here is exemplary, but what's there to really get wrong here? It's not hard to get things right the way that we do communion. No one's going out of their way to take 10 of these little cups and have 10 wafers or drink heaps of this juice because it doesn't taste that great, right? It's very sugary. Examine instead the way that we live our lives in our communal context in modern Sydney. This is how we live this out. Do you strengthen the, lives of the, the lines of division by the way that you live? Do you cause others to stumble and fall by the way that you live? This is how we examine ourselves. We've talked previously in the Corinthian series about the idols in our lives, about things like drunkenness, about sexuality. These are indeed ways in which we might despise the body of Christ. But let's take it the other direction today then. Positively speaking, in what way can you individually recognize your brothers and sisters of faith? Can you see that they represent Christ too? Can you live for them? Every believer who calls Christ Lord is united with them, and so they are our brother and our sister. Every Christian is my brother, is my sister. 
you need to remember this. They're the ones that Jesus Christ chose to die for, giving his body, his blood, and we see this in the communion. I believe that we at New Life, we've been growing in our welcoming culture. I think that that's been happening. I think we've been growing in our love for one another and the Lord. But if we become complacent, I do believe that we'll default back to what's most comfortable for us, back to the culture around us. So let's examine ourselves. Do you ever feel like something as trivial as the amount of money that you earn or your job your relationship status, or something else in life makes you better than someone else. Open up your friendships with others and recognize brothers and sisters as part of the body. We're going to go into a time of communion today. Today, for our communion, I'd really like for you to consider, to reflect. Let our time of communion today be a time where you truly consider the brothers and sisters around you. Think not about yourself, but think about those around you as you partake in the communion today. So what is the communion? As you've heard in today's sermon, the communion is an act of remembrance. For Jesus died a self-giving death, that, he will be, that we will be forgiven our sins, and we do this in remembrance of him. Now without a continued dependence on Jesus, we risk allowing the communion to become this trivial act that we take part in. For just as God's grace was what we needed for salvation, we continue to need his grace day by day so that we might believe in the gospel in our day-to-day living, that we might proclaim him in our unity. The communion also gives us a glimpse into our future, to the marriage supper of Jesus and the church at our Lord's glorious return when there will be perfect unity as we gather together around the table. Now here at New Life, as you heard, we celebrate and participate together in the communion uh, on the first Sunday of each month. During this time, let's reflect and examine ourselves today, especially as we're invited under the table under Jesus Christ's righteousness. Let's also welcome those who are new, those who may now place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If this is you, we ask that you place your trust in Jesus for your salvation, that you pray to God asking him to open your eyes and to give you revelation regarding his son Jesus. And then also join us together in coming together for the communion and make yourself known to us at the conclusion of our service. So a few of New Life's ministry directors will be at the front of each aisle. Uh, We'll also have one person who will be attending to the serving volunteers here on stage uh, in the multimedia room, the children's ministry, and also the parents in the parents' room. So if we can have the ministry directors come up and the uh, praise team come up. Now the ministry director who's uh, roaming will also have I believe a gluten-free option uh, for those who do have allergies. So if you do have allergies, please find that person and receive the communion. And once you're ready and once the ministry directors are, um, are stationed, come forward and receive the communion. Take it back to your seats and then wait for everyone to be served so that we can take it together. Okay? Why don't you take some time to pray and reflect um, as we get ready to take the communion together.
anyone not been served yet? They're just waiting to be served still? I think just multimedia room. I believe everyone's been served, and so we'll take the communion together. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ given for you. Father, would you renew in us that appreciation, that remembrance of who Jesus is and what he did for us. We think back to the Lord's table when he presided over it, when he broke the bread, when he passed around the cup, when he gave his life for the sake of others, even those that would betray him. We long to live in this way. We long for our communion, our worship, our practices in day-to-day life to reflect this type of unity, this type of love for others. Would you give to us a special concern for our brothers and sisters around us, rather than us just defaulting to caring about ourselves? We long to be an unselfish and a generous people. So would you guide us and would you change us by your Holy Spirit? Because it's only through your work that we can be reformed in this way. We pray, Lord, that this communion can take special meaning in our hearts once again, that as we've shared in it, in unity, that we might find true unity here at New Life with one another, with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might call them brother and sister, that we might know truly what this means. Change our hearts, Lord, and help us to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.